You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, like I'm late to getting here. Oh my goodness. Hey, uh, good being with you. Those of you that are new, so glad that you're here. My name is Ryan. Uh, I want to talk to you about this gather event just for a moment. My wife and I are actually hosting that next week. Uh, next weekend after the third service. So there's my beautiful bride. Been married 18 years. Feels like 18 years. Uh, She's not here today, so uh, I can say a little bit more and maybe get away with it. So, Uh, but we are excited just to welcome those of you that are new to be a part of our church here, the story, kind of how we got going and all that. And then we're going to have lunch together uh, out at the Ramada and all that good stuff. So maybe we'll do it in here. But just next week after the third service, that's when it is. You can register to do that. In addition, as well, I want to encourage you, if you've never been on a mission trip or you want to go on a mission trip, my wife and I are uh, leading a team down to Mexico during spring break. And uh, our friends down there with I-68, they've Uh, gave us a report, and they said Rocky Point is open, the borders are open, thousands upon thousands upon thousands and thousands of tourists are taking advantage of the beaches, and no missionaries are coming. And so let's be different. Uh, Let's look at doing that. So uh, my wife and I are going to go. A number of families from the first service said, hey, we'll go. We'd love to go. And uh, last year, uh, when the borders closed, we, we said, go ahead and keep the money and build the house, and the name of the family was the Corona family. So, so crazy how that happened. Again, God's uh, sovereignty and humor all mixed together, really good. And this is a house that we built together as a church, and so we hope to continue to uh, do that. And we got a number of families represented here in the photo, and so grateful for that. So today we're going to jump into a message uh, from the book of Philemon. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up. Table of contents can help you out. It's uh, a one-hit wonder. It's just one little page uh, there in your Bible. And so I'm trying to find it myself. got it. And uh, good book, though. It's the Apostle Paul. He is writing from uh, the church, uh, well, actually, uh, under house arrest in Rome. And he's going to write about restoring relationships. So I want to tell you a story. Uh, not too long ago, I was invited to take over some leadership of a nonprofit organization in my spare time. And so I said, sure, I'll give it some, some assistance. And little did I know how much conflict that would create in this organization. And uh, have you ever been invited to take over a significant role of leadership, but not being fully told the backstory of who was there before you? Have you ever been there before? And so as soon as you jump into this new position, sometimes you find out not everybody's excited that you're in this new position. So uh, I was doing this just as a, as a good help and, and whatnot. And so I get a phone call. This is not a Christian organization, so the story will, will uh, hopefully uh, be self-evident. So I get a phone call after I've assumed this position of leadership and start making some changes and whatnot. Guy calls me and calls me on the phone, has my number, don't know where he got my number, calls me and cusses me out. I'm talking the most colorful language I've heard in a very, very long time. And I said, wow, okay, uh, thank you very much for the feedback. I'll take it into consideration. Hang up the phone, he calls me back again. 
cusses me out a second time. Very, very, very explicit language. All sorts of names. Names I've never heard of before. I was like, "You are. this is very creative. You are very skilled in this kind of slang street talk. I'm like, man, thank you again for the feedback. Appreciate it. I think it's time to go. 30 seconds pass. He's got one more phone call to get <laughs> to give Ryan. He calls me, cusses me out another time, three times in a row. I'm like, is there a biblical thing with threes, like getting cussed out? Like, this is very interesting. I hang up the phone, and uh, about five, 10 minutes later, I get a text message. And the guy says, hey, I'm sorry. I had to do that. I'm like, what a cheap apology. I'm sorry I had to do that. And you guys know I'm a pastor, so I texted him back, and I just said, eat poo, sin. (laughs) You know, sometimes you just got to do it. I'm joking. I didn't do that. Of course I didn't do that. I said to him, hey, the door is always open if you want to talk and really try to work this thing out. There was no reconciliation. There was no restoration. The apology was a gimmicky little text that made him feel good and made me think, what a, what is, what a cheapskate. To send me a text to say, I'm sorry, I had to do that. No, he didn't have to do that. It's unfortunate that when we get our feathers ruffled, we get so frustrated and we think we justify ourselves to be a jerk to people. And... Uh, when we're rightfully justified, in, then maybe it gives some kind of warrant for the frustration of the communication and the tension and all that stuff. But the Bible talks about anger seldomly producing the righteousness of God, meaning it seldomly does something really productive. There is such thing as righteous anger and, and, and creating a conflict to create catalytic movement and change that needs to happen where there's injustice. But what I want to talk to you today is about how do you restore relationships or how do you restore something when it's broken or it didn't go right? Uh, My guess is in in the midst of the, the tension times that we live in with politics and pandemics, there's probably some strained relationships. Doesn't matter on what side you land on on anything, there's probably some strained relationships. And today we're going to look at a case study in the book of Philemon. The Apostle Paul is the author. Let's jump in verse 1. It says this, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Paul says he's a prisoner. He's in house arrest in Rome. He's an old man at this point in time. He says he's not a prisoner of Rome. He says he's a prisoner of who? For who? Christ Jesus. He sees in the sovereignty of God. He sees that this is all played out. He's been ministering, guess what, to Caesar's household. People in the upper echelon of the Roman uh, Empire are coming to faith in Christ. And Paul says, (laughs) I'm here for Christ. I'm not here just to do my time because I've been preaching the gospel and Christianity is soon to be uh, banned and forbidden and systematic persecutions breaking out. Paul, by the way, is going to lose his head in Rome, literally. He'll be martyred for his death. He's a prisoner for Christ, but people in upper higher levels of government are coming to faith in Christ. And he says, I'm, I'm a prisoner uh, for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. This is a, uh, an ancient letter. So it starts a little bit different. When you and I write a letter, we say, dear so-and-so. And at the very end, we say sincerely, and then we put our name. Here they flip-flop it. It's 
Paul is the author. Timothy is his protege. He's writing with him. And it says, two Philemon are beloved uh, and fellow worker and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Let me pause right there. So Philemon is a gentleman that the Apostle Paul had uh, led to faith in Christ in one of his missionary journeys. Philemon's obviously a wealthy individual. He's got a wonderful wife uh, that's mentioned there. He says, our sister. Um, This is a family. And the son is a fellow soldier. He's a minister uh, of the gospel as well. He's probably a, a young pastor in this new church movement. The church is taking off in Rome. It's, uh, the Apostle Paul would come and preach, and then uh, 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 many people would come to faith in Christ, and then he'd commission them to basically start a church in the home. And so that's what's going on. So the letter is written to Philemon. And those of you that are new to reading the Bible, you might pronounce that Philemon. When I was young, in my faith, I was like, I would like to read the book of Philemon. My friend's like, dude, don't say that. It's Philemon. I was like, oh, okay. Philemon. Pokemon and Philemon. So he says this, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that word grace. Just remember that. That's a good word. It's a very important word when we come to talking about restoring relationships. Notice what he's going to do. He's going to confront, there's a problem, there's an issue, there's a relationship that needs to be restored. And instead of just tackling it head on, first and foremost, he warms Philemon up. Watch what he does. Verse four, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love of the faith you have towards the Lord Jesus for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. In other words, he's like, you're a good man, Philemon. You encourage other people. Every time I think about you, I give thanks to God. Like, you're just a good guy. But watch this, verse 8. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, it's probably 60s or 70s, and those of you in 67 say, hey, watch it. Well, back then, this was really old, and, and you'd, you'd, you'd die by the time you're probably 70-something. So those of you that are 60 and 70, don't worry, I'm not going to call you old man. But Paul says, I, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. Onesimus is uh, somebody that would have got Philemon's attention because the story unfolds. Let's watch. Whose father I became in my imprisonment, Uh, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness may not be by compulsion, but your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. Verse 16, very key text. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. 
especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Let me stop for a moment. Uh, Onesimus was a bondservant. Uh, some of your translations would say slave. The Greek word is doulos, and it does mean it's a, it kind of like an indentured servant. Somebody perhaps who fell on really, really hard times was severely, utterly in poverty and sought refuge in a cruel uh, a world in the Roman Empire. And so the wealthy landowners, the farmers, the ranches, uh, the business owners, they would employ a number of people in order to run their large estates. And so when we think of uh, slavery or uh, the idea of bond servant, immediately our mind goes to uh, what we ex- saw, have uh, seen and, or read about uh, through American history, uh, or at least I've read about. And that is not at all what was going on in this context, uh, but there is still a level that this individual is considered to, uh, to be uh, owned in a sense, or there's some formal uh, obligation that is owed. So what happened? Well, Onesimus uh, got tired, I guess, of working for Philemon. And so he took some valuable things that you're going you're gonna to learn more about. He took something from Philemon and then bolted. From Colossae to Rome, he loses himself in the big city, trying to hide out. But guess who he bumps into? The Apostle Paul. I mean, what are the chances in a, in a city of a million people that in, the, in Rome there's the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul leads him to faith in Christ, comes to find out his backstory, that he was actually working at Philemon's estate, and he stole something. So he's a fugitive. And in Rome, if you were caught as a fugitive fleeing from your boss, you would be branded on the face uh, a letter F for like fugitiva in a sense or something, that you are, you're a fugitive, you're on the run. In fact, they would take those criminals and they would call them a criminal and they would crucify them oftentimes. Paul knows this is a very delicate situation because all of society has embraced this concept of bond servants. But bond, ser- bond servants isn't the same as slavery as what we would think of. Many of these bond servants were doctors, lawyers, bookkeepers, accountants, teachers, professors. Many of them uh, managed the estates of properties and finances for the business owners. Take, for example, the parable of the talents when Jesus talks about the servants and then he doles out the money and says, go and invest. And then they talk about the importance of investment. These bond servants are, are folks that are they have a debt to pay to the master or the, the business uh, employer. Onesimus has gone on the run. He's got a debt. He comes to faith in Christ. And then Paul says, don't receive him back as a bondservant. Receive him far more than that. Receive him as a brother in the Lord. Philemon probably would have been freaked out a little bit because here's the challenge of it. When when you would receive a letter from the, one of the apostles back in that day, and you were leading a church, which Philemon was and his wife, you were told to read that in front of the whole house church. And those, these were large, large houses. Remember, the church is not building buildings at this point in time. Uh, Christianity is underground in a sense. Philemon's challenge, do I want to reconcile with this crook? This guy who stole from me? But he's challenged not to just reconcile, but to receive him. Look what it says. 
verse 17. So if you consider me, the apostle Paul says, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. That's what he says. Well, how would he receive the apostle Paul? He would have welcomed him. Why? Because the apostle Paul is like a father of the faith to Philemon. He led him to faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to remind him that. Don't receive him just as a bond servant. Receive him as a brother. Very powerful truth there. He says, uh, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Say nothing of your, wrong, of, of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He's saying, come on, just make me happy. Receive this guy. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Many commentators, scholars, thinkers, theologians, Christian leaders think that what he's implying is a total pardoning. No more debt to be owed. Onesimus is free. And what's really, really cool about this, you're going to hear the story about how they are reconciled, is that later church history talks about this individual by the name of Onesimus leading a, leading a large church some 40 years later. So much of church historians would agree that there's some powerful reconciliation that happens here. He's not just a bondservant anymore. He's a brother in the Lord. And that Philemon turns the corner, they forgive each other and reconcile. But the Apostle Paul just wants to make sure this is all going to happen, so watch this. He says, uh, verse 21, I'll read it, read it. He says, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers, I'll be graciously given to you. In other words, he's saying, I'm I want you to be praying for me. Yes, I'm under house arrest, but pray that I get freed. Yes, I'm here for Jesus Christ. By the way, I've been uh, evangelizing to all of Caesar's household. Even the emperor's uh, family and friends are coming to faith in Christ, but pray for me that I get free and I'm going to come check on you to make sure you straighten things out with Onesimus. Philemon's probably thinking, oh, snap, I got to do this quick. Prepare a guest room. Pray for him. Pressure's on. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, and Arsitarchus, and Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Mark and Luke are other gospel writers. The Apostle Paul's got a powerful entourage. Uh, Then he ends the letter with this. This is a personal letter from the Apostle Paul to Philemon and the house church there. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace is again mentioned again, starts and ends with grace. We're talking about restoring a relationship. So what are some observations about the text? I would say a couple of things. Number one, you need to know that what we see here is that God transforms people. Onesimus is his name. It was a common name given to bond servants, and the, the, the word actually meant useful. But what happened was, as soon as he stole property from Philemon and took off and bolted, word got around and they started calling him useless. He's useless. So useless comes to faith in Christ after he met the apostle Paul, and then Paul says, he's not useless, he's useful. 
See, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, things change. Uh, If you're unforgiving, you ought to become more forgiving. If you're greedy, you ought to become generous. Like there's 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 a theological word called conversion. Like when you become a Christian, the old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Powerful principle here. God transforms people. Just the other day, I was at the park. My wife's out of town, and uh, she's in California and uh, getting ready for my daughter's turning 16, and so she's on a little girl's getaway with, with my daughter, and so I'm in charge, and I got a little puppy that I'm taking care of. It's her puppy. I, I, don't, I don't like the puppy a whole lot, but I'm happy that she's happy with the puppy, and uh, I'm in charge of that, plus I'm in charge of my nine-year-old daughter, so it's a lot. So she's, my, daughter, my daughter says, hey, let's go to the park, dad. And it's like, I, my, my child gets like, I call it mission mode. It's like, she's got a vision for the park. So it's the park or it's a blow up kind of thing. And so I'm like, fine, let's go to the park. So we go to the park. I'm like prepping for my message and I'm looking through stuff. I'm sitting in the truck. And, and I want to tell you, before I became a Christian, I wasn't a very... Uh, very few things would move me like what happened yesterday. Uh, so I see this, I'm, I'm tense, I'm frustrated a little bit. I gotta, I gotta figure out how to cook dinner. I don't even know what to feed my daughter. Uh, I've gotta get her to bed and then I gotta get her to church for three services. Like, how is this going to work? So I, I like texted my wife, is there better instruction somewhere? <laughs> You know, you didn't even tell me about the dog, the dog diarrhea in the cage. Like, I don't like this, you know, but have fun. Love you. Um, So I'm sitting there at the park frustrated, and uh, I see this father get out of the car. He's like the opposite of me. He's very peaceful. He's very kind. He's very patient. And I'm like, well, you know, I wish that was me. And then, then he gets his daughter out, and his daughter is, is definitely handicapped, can't hardly walk, can hardly talk, slurs her words. She's, she looks like she can, could not walk without tripping and falling. She's probably 15, 16 years old. And the dad is so engaged. He's so loving. He's so kind. He's so joyful. And my heart just broke right there in that moment. I'm like, God, that is a powerful picture of love. Unconditional love. The girl didn't feel she was handicapped. The girl felt she was loved and prized by her dad. That just, that got me. So here's the story. Pre-Jesus, I wouldn't have cared about that. I wouldn't have thought about that. I would, it would not have moved me when when Jesus begins to take root in our life, things begin to change. My, my, my grandfather's a great example. He was an old, crotchety, grumpy old man. Comes to faith in Jesus later in life, becomes the life of the party, a joy to be around. And he got better and more joyful over time. God can transform people. Don't ever forget that. That's what was happening with Onesimus. He was useless. Paul says he's useful. Secondly, realize that God sets divine appointments. 
This is really cool. There, there are no coincidences in God's world. He sets these divine appointments into our life for people that we're going to meet, situations that are going to happen. And this is why that the Apostle Paul said earlier in verse 15, he says, perhaps this is why he parted from you. So that I would meet him. He would come to faith in Christ. He would get a new identity from useless to useful. You would receive him. And church history tells us later he'd lead a church. Don't ever think that there's just coincidence. There's divine appointments. When you step into a situation, it's a divine appointment oftentimes. And thirdly, I just encourage you about God, is that God's grace is the basis for doing good work. This is why the Apostle Paul started the letter of Philemon, addressing Philemon and talking about grace, and then ended with grace. And so as believers, if we're going to do the work of reconciliation, if we're going to help people get restored, if we're going to take the effort and try to resolve the conflict, we do it at a position of grace, not for good works. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, I I don't have it on the screen, but I'll just paraphrase it. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, uh, perhaps at the very same time that he wrote this letter to Philemon. He also wrote a letter to Colossae, the book of Colossians. But Ephesians tells us this about good works and grace. The Apostle Paul says, uh, for it is by grace you've been saved. It's God's grace, like his goodness, unmerited favor. It's God's grace you've been saved. This isn't by works. This is nothing that you've done. It's a gift to God so that nobody can boast. But by the way, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. But the foundation of the good works is God's grace. And so if we're going to labor in the restoring of the relationship, we do it from a position of grace. This is what the Apostle Paul was after. In other words, he's like, Philemon, you've experienced the grace of God. It, it, probably, it probably saved his marriage, probably saved his business. He is a, now, he's like a son in the faith to the Apostle Paul. He's like, you, you've experienced the grace of God. Extend that grace to this guy. He stole from you. Yeah. Legally, you could have him put to death. Legally, you could brand him the rest of his life. Legally, you you can do what you want to do. But Christians are different. See, Christianity had such an impact on the Roman Empire that it would lead to the kind of the abolition of of, of that that magnitude of uh, bondservant structure, that slavery structure. One third of the population of the Roman Empire were bondservants. Uh, not all of them, they weren't all working in the field. Some of them were managing estates. But Paul says a powerful principle that overturns this concept of bondservant says, man, you bleed the same blood. You, you are a brother in Christ. I was talking to Pastor Ellis about just the racial tensions that we face in today's times. And I, I said to him, I said, hey, man, what do you think that a white church needs to hear from an African-American pastor in today's times? with all the racial issues. And he said, we bleed the same blood. We serve the same God. And Paul's principles here uh, bring so much value and highlight God's grace. And it's so important for us to grasp this, that 
That we are, we are supposed to be some of the most gracious people on the planet. And the good work that you and I have is perhaps in the restoration work, in the restoring work. I think probably one of the most divine acts that you could do as a believer is to restore a relationship. And you do that when you come from a place of grace. I don't know if you're at odds with somebody right now, but my guess is with all the politics and the pandemics, there's, there's, there's tension times. So even your family or even your friends, you, you bicker, you disagree, and Facebook gives you the perfect platform to do that from. Your keyboard courage is just through the roof. At least the guy called me and cussed me out. I mean, that was kind of brave. I told them, I was like, just meet me. And then I'm like, what am I doing? Am I going to get in a fight? Like the old Ryan's, show up, let's fight this up, you know. So I'm telling this guy, I'm like, just meet me. Come on, let's talk face to face. And then I hung up the phone. I'm like, I'm glad he didn't want to meet me. That would be terrible. Like I come to church with a black eye. Well, I got into it with Mr. Loudmouth. But uh, how do you reconcile? How do you restore relationships? I'm going to put this on you. Ask you to slip into the shoes of Onesimus. You did wrong. You've wronged somebody. You've offended somebody. You're guilty. You are a sinner. You sin all the time. There's probably not a day that goes by that you don't do a sin of commission. You do something you shouldn't have done or a sin of omission. You don't do something you should have done. So we all do that. So what do we need? We need God's grace and we got to be humble people. The more proud you are, the less uh, you're going to be able to restore relationships. Prideful people don't restore relationships. Private people, uh, pri- prideful people burn bridges all the time. <laughs> like the Italians say, you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I had a friend who literally told me that. I'm like, I'm dead to you? Really? Yeah, you're dead to me. Fine. Door's always open. So how do you do that? How do you restore a relationship? Number one, you just say, I'm sorry. Powerful word. Very easy word to say. Very difficult thing to do. Did Onesimus say, I'm sorry? I, I, I believe he absolutely did. Uh, the Apostle Paul was so confident in this man's transformation. Receive him as a brother. Uh, who do you need to say, I'm sorry to? Maybe you didn't grow up in a household where I'm sorry really came out very often. Here's what I'm sorry shouldn't be like. I'm sorry I had to do that. What a cheap apology. Like he just had to do that? (laughs) Like give me a break. You don't have to act like a jerk if you're going to apologize. You don't have to act like a jerk at all. You, you, You can, right? intelligently disagree respectfully, can't you? I mean, theoretically, and that's what we're losing right now in our culture, is the ability to respectfully to disagree, but do it intelligently and calmly. See, Jesus says that you're to be the light of the world, and so we like that. We love to be the light of the world as Christians. But when that light heats up, into a conversation where things start escalating. That light got too hot. You better cool it down. 
there's always a place for truth, but I'm talking about you needing, maybe you've made an offense. We got to be the humble people and start this process. And I always say to my wife, I said it for so long, I always say when we got into a disagreement or some kind of fight, I would say, she would say, well, let's, let's reconcile. And I would say, okay, let's do it. You go first. And she would say, no, you're the spiritual leader. You go first. And I'm like, so I'm sorry is the first one, how to restore the relationship. Number two is that you just say, I was wrong. You just say the phrase, I was wrong to do that. And then you don't say, but you just leave that out. You just say, I, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I know it hurt you. I didn't want to hurt you like that. I was wrong. I, there was another way to do it. I wasn't right. I wasn't justified in doing that. I was wrong. And then number three, you just say, please forgive me. Just please forgive me. And uh, this is such an important phrase to say. Uh, maybe you didn't grow up having this kind of uh, talk in your life where people would, would do this and you'd see this humility. But as a father and as a pastor and as a husband, I found myself finding that forgiveness is such a ticket for freedom to move the family forward. If I say that when I blow it or do something wrong and I tell my, uh, my, my 16-year-old child, hey, I'm sorry, I, I was wrong to, to say that or do that or to judge your friend, even though he looks like a dirtbag. No, I can't say that, right? Uh, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Um, these are rules for reconciliation. And at the heart of the gospel message is, is that you're, you're doing something that sometimes people are, it's unexpected. It, and, and for you and me as people, we need to be courageous Christians to try to reconcile things. I don't know who in your life right now that you need to make it right with, but here's what you want to put into practice this week. And we're going to end early, so hopefully you'll have time to think about it more and put it into action, is to make it right with one other person this week. You need to make it right. Think of somebody you have offended. Think of somebody that you did something to that you, 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 you just wished you didn't do it. And those of you that are married, if you're getting nudged right now, that probably means you probably did something wrong. And so I want to encourage you to make, make it right. And don't pull the, well, you do it first. You just you do it. You do your part. You know, that's, that is the part that gets frustrating, I know, in times in relationships where it feels one way, not two way. But our responsibility is to try to make it right. And so that's my challenge to you this week, is to make it right with at least one other person. And we got a great case study where Onesimus comes back, probably fearful for his life, could be put to death, could be branded a fugitive the rest of his life. And he makes it right. And church history tells us that he goes on to lead a a large church, probably with Philemon's support. So let us do that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today and just the privilege and opportunity to challenge us all, including myself, just to live it out. Lord, thank you that you do transform people. You've transformed me. You've transformed so many people in our church. Lord, I thank you that you uh, 
there are divine appointments, and maybe today is that. That today would be an appointment for folks to hear that they need to restore a relationship, maybe a strained relationship with a child or a, a son, a daughter, a family member, a, a friend or a coworker, a spouse. I pray that there would be courage today to make it right. And Lord, in that act, there is great joy and there is freedom in that. So we pray that your spirit would be at work and that our hands would get to work. And and Lord, we would make this happen, that we'd make it right. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.